0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of our great God, the gardener of our souls, who promises his son to be with you forever. Let me start with a, a little bit of a confession. Uh, as I prepared to lead worship here this week, uh, um, I, I had uh, looked over the, the, the passages, I had prepared a sermon, and everything was all well and good, and then I turned out to, to do what uh, I've been told is, is a, a David Ruffner move. And that is, uh, I prepared a, a sermon on the wrong text for the week. Now, I found out a couple of days before David did, when he found out as they were being read in worship. So not to throw you under the bus, David. Um, so I rewrote another sermon. So uh, um, I have another sermon based on these. But, but just so you know, the sermon for, uh, in, in four weeks, um, if some, whoever's preaching it, I'll give you one, because I got one ready for you. So I don't know who it is, so that is ready to go. I Also, that hymn of the day is perfect for that sermon, not necessarily for this one that's coming up, as will already be in the uh, um, season um, of Lent at that point as well. But our text for this morning is that epistle lesson that we heard from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the third chapter. If you want to look at that again or open up your Bibles, if you have them, to First uh, Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to look at uh, verses four through seven again. That'll be the text for this morning. Paul writes, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Have you ever had anyone tell you, don't just sit there, do something? Now, perhaps it was your parents trying to light a fire under you to get you to do something. Don't just sit there, do something. Or it's that teacher who needs you to get going on that project. Don't just sit there, do something. One of my first jobs, I had a boss who who used another slightly different variation of this phrase. He said, if there's time to lean, there's time to clean. Don't just sit there. Do something. Our modern Western culture has instilled within us the idea of the external as being the most important. We're pressured into keeping up appearances and to boast in the things that we have done. And this external focus gets us into trouble quickly, because we soon realize that no matter what we do, we will never be good enough. This is uh, that being human that Paul talks about in our text. And that creates anxiety at best, but it also uh, gets us into downright Trouble, at worst, as uh, I heard someone say not too long ago, we begin to, to judge our insides by someone else's outsides. Soon our lives devolve into jealousy, bickering, hostility. That's never happened to you, right? Sure, it's never happened in this church, right? The church in Corinth had some of the same issues. Paul, in his letter seeks to help the church. But rather than addressing this external behavior that he sees, Paul realizes that the real problem is internal. If you've been here in this house of worship the last couple of weeks, I've heard that, that David has been talking kind of through the first couple chapters of First Corinthians and this uh, idea that, that uh, uh, there's just this one thing, right? There's this one thing. If I were Paul, seeing the things that are happening in this church in Corinth, I would say, don't just sit there, do something. But Paul realized that the people in the church of Corinth needed a lot more than just a a fancy slogan or external encouragement. They needed that one thing. They needed to be rescued from themselves by something outside of themselves. Paul tries to make it simple and clear. He's giving the the people the basic message, but it seems that the people in uh, Corinth and the people in our days too, we seem to always put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, right? We put the emphasis in the wrong place. The people in Corinth got the basic message wrong. They were, yes, being human, but they were fighting over who they were following. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Humans, you and me, by nature, always seem to seek control. Control for our lives. We desire to to make our own luck in life, if you will. In other words, we believe that we have the ability by our own to map out our own lives, to control our destiny, to solve our own problems. By word or by deed, we try to fix all the problems we have in life. Theologians like to call this justification by works. That is, making oneself acceptable to God through good behavior. As long as I do enough or pray the right words or read enough scripture or attend enough services, everything is going to be okay. Paul sees the same view in the church in Corinth and he points them to the truth of human nature. We are all flawed and broken. We are all prone to compulsive acting out and left on our own. We need help. It's not just the church in Corinth, it's the church in Big Bear. It's the church in America. It's the church in the world. It's every human being. We all do it. You know the right thing to do, but you just can't seem to get it done. Or you find yourself doing that wrong thing over and over and over again. Those times you keep scrolling through your phone for hours and hours on end, knowing you have a long list of responsibilities to take care of, whether at work or at home. You have the desire to have more stuff. All I need is that that new car, that new bike, that new gadget, that new gear, and I'm going to be happy. Or it's you put in those extra hours at work, not simply for more pay, but You try to earn your place at the expense of your spouse or your family. For some, it's the allure of the bottle, where you think that more indulgence will numb the pain of your life away. Or the attraction of the visual. It's all too easy to come by online and it becomes an obsession and causes you to lust and to wander. Or it could be a a myriad of other things that lead you astray from figuring it all out on your own or trying to fix your own deepest fears. We are a broken people living in a broken world. (coughs) Excuse me. And we've given in to the desires of the flesh. Thinking that if we get enough gumption, if we work hard enough, if we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, everything is going to be Okay, but the illness of sin is a fatal disease. And friends, it's taken your life. And there's nothing you can do about it. The Corinthians thought that they would just be fine as long as they chose the right spiritual leader, right? As long as they had a guru that they followed and told them everything they needed to do, all would be well. They believed that their personal growth Their walk with the Lord was their own responsibility. But the dead are incapable to make a choice, let alone determine their next steps. And you, my friends, are dead. And all we seem to do is quarrel and complain like the Corinthians. So what does Paul say to all this in regards to, to saving ourselves He says it pretty simply, don't do something, just sit there. Don't do something, just sit there. It sounds counterintuitive because you see, God is the one who calls. God is the one who redeems. God is the one who saves. God is the one who heals. God is the one who brings life. And this he does in Christ for you. For the shame you're living in, for the sin that you can't let go of, for the pain that you're feeling because of the relationships your words have shattered, for the sin you find yourself in over and over again, you have a God that does not place the burden of getting better on the one who is ill. Let me say that again. We have a God who does not place the burden of getting better On the one who is ill. God puts the burden on his one and only son, Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born under the law, born to redeem those under the law. He placed it on his son, who went to the cross, who took the illness of sin, who suffered and died in your place. And then he rose again. So that you might be saved. You know, that day you were claimed in the waters of baptism? It was God who was the one doing the work there too, washing you clean and raising you with Christ to new life. Those moments where, where you hear the word proclaimed from the mouth of a preacher, that was God doing the work of an assigned servant to show you Jesus. Jesus who loves, who forgives. When you're gathered here at the altar to celebrate the Lord's Supper, guess what? Yep, that's His work too, not yours. As the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is broken and shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. In water and word, in wafer and in wine, our Lord comes to you. He comes to breathe new life into your dead flesh through these words, On account of Christ, you are forgiven. It's not about following Paul. It's not about following Apollos. But it's Jesus. Jesus. Only Jesus. He has done it all. Don't do something. Just sit there. And when that happens, our great gardening God will water and wash feed and care through His assigned servants, and you will bear fruit. Fruit that will go on to be a blessing to others. For it is only God who gives the growth. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord, now and forever. Amen.